Hi, my name is Beth Fisher Yoshida. I am the Academic Director of the Program on Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Master's Program at the School of Continuing Education at Columbia University and co-chair of AC4, which is the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. Welcome to our series of Peace and Conflict at Columbia University, Conversations from the Leading Edge. Today I have with me two people, Christiana Gatsi and Kyung Mazaro, who will be speaking about mediation. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves first, and then we'll get started. So, Christy? Uh, my name is Christiana Gazi, and um, I currently serve as the assistant director at AC4, uh, and I'm also a member of the research group at the International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution at Teachers College. And I am Kim Mazzara. I'm currently a program manager at AC4, and like Christy, I work at uh, Peter's work group at the International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution at Teachers College. Very good. Thank you. So we're going to be talking about mediation, which is one of the core practices of ADR, which is Alternative Dispute Resolution or Conflict Resolution. And while there are many different approaches to mediation, different practices, different kinds of research and so on, we have a particular conversation we want to have today about mediation research and practice in the field. And so I'm going to ask uh, Christy and Kyung to please tell a little bit about their understanding about what mediation is, so if our listeners are not familiar with it. So uh, mediation is defined generally as the facilitated negotiation by an acceptable third party. Uh, So this can happen in a variety of settings, um, in a community mediation center or another community organization that might offer social services. Um, Oftentimes it's it's a divorce case or uh, neighbors are in conflict. Uh, Another instance that mediation commonly takes place is in the international relations realm. Uh, So usually you're thinking of diplomacy where uh, the stakes are really high. That's on a national level. Uh, And it can happen informally in organizations. Oftentimes um, universities and for-profit organizations will have um, a mediation component to their human resources department or um, a function of the organization called an ombudsperson, which is someone who's job, it is solely uh, to resolve conflicts uh, amongst employees. Kong, did you want to add something to that? So I would only add that in the case of international mediation, it's sometimes difficult to define what it is because um, most of the times it's just third-party interventions, and they may include um, parties who don't want to be identified or who would follow different procedures. Very good, very good. So we know that there are different types of mediation, different contexts within which mediation takes place, different types of mediators and how they fulfill the role of a mediator in there. We know there are different levels or tracks within international diplomacy and so on. We also know that some of the things we read about are not always everything that's taking place behind the scenes because some people don't want to be identified. We also know that there are different cultural orientations Mm -hmm. to mediation and uh, the responsibilities and practices of the person who is in the role of mediator. So I know that you've been working on some research and some interesting projects, and I know that, for example, your group has been working with the United Nations, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about and tell the listeners a little bit about 
mediation and what's happening at the UN in terms of mediation? Sure. So um, over the last three years, there has been a lot of interest in international mediation. And let's say that it all started in the summer of 2011, when for the first time the generally, a General Assembly um, started discussing the issue of mediation and its relevance for um, the solution of disputes, international disputes. And from there, there was a lot of interest uh, on behalf of state um, members who decided to donate considerable amounts of money to support mediation as um, an important way to solve controversies at the international level. Um, shortly after the summer of 2011, um, uh, in June 2012, there, um, there were different thematic discussions at the General Assembly, and it all ended up um, in a resolution where um, they asked member states to um, support mediation and initiate um, different processes that could um, lead to more informed but more effective mediation. At the same time, in 2006, the Mediation uh, Support Unit was created within the um, Department for Political Affairs at the UN, um, and they have been supported the work of international mediators throughout. Um, our connection within, with the UN Mediation Support Unit is very interesting because um, over the last year, the Mediation Support Unit has been working on um, providing resources to mediators to actually help them do their work better in the field. Um, one of these initiatives was the guidance for effective mediation. And for this, uh, Professor Peter Coleman was invited to provide input and give a more academic perspective for them to really develop a tool that is um, empirically based and can be really effective in the field. Um, from there, there was another initiative that was developed, very interesting. Um, it, old, um, it was based on the original resolution where the Secretary General of the United Nations asked for the creation of an Academic Advisory Council on Mediation, and um, Professor Peter Coleman um, was invited to participate. Um, the main objective of this Academic Advisory Council was basically to link academia with practitioners and the international organizations to better enhance and provide more tools for mediators around the world. So interesting, and something I take away from that, which people may find interesting, is that even mm -hmm. though there's a decision taken to take an initiative on mediation, it really does take several years <coughs> to really get things working yes. well. So mm -hmm. first, the member states put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, <laughs> and they put money towards this. And uh, that really does show uh, commitment to the whole practice of mediation. And also that people weren't going to just do things without any kind of structure or format, and that they really wanted to have some academic input, some structure, some format. And you talk about the guidance of mediation as well, because mediation can't be many different things, so it's all together on the same page. So it's really only been about six or seven years since yes. the MSU, the Mediation Support Unit, was founded. Great. Christy, do you want to add something to that about the UN? Um, no, I just, the, the next thing that I thought we could talk about was um, the research project and that how that has kind of come from the UN's need to really organize and assemble um, the academic research that's been done on mediation. Mm -hmm. Sure, if you'd like to take a 
start on that? Sure. So um, after Peter Coleman had met with the UN, um, we kind of met together as a group and uh, looked into the literature that had been done on um, conflict mediation in the past 10 years. And what we found is that there's really um, kind of a piecemeal and scattered understanding of what constitutes effective mediation. Um, A lot of the research is either micro, so um, generally coming from the field of psychology um, and social work and other um, helping fields, Um, or it's macro, so it's coming from international relations and political science, and there's very little discourse between those two lenses. Um, and it's, this is fur- further compounded by this, the fact in academia that there's generally a lack of cohesion or communication across the disciplines. Um, so we also found that a lot of the models of practice were really removed from evidence-based research. And this is particularly important for the UN because they're really taking this information and, and bringing it into the field. Um, Similarly, we found um, gaps in research about what are the antecedents of mediation strategies, you know, what causes someone to, to take more of a facilitative approach versus a narrative approach and so on. Um, so with that, we decided that it was important to um, empirically identify and model the fundamental dimensions of mediated situations. So in thinking through that, um, some questions arose. Um, so what are, a few, what are the few critical dimensions? Um, and will differences in these dimensions change a mediator strategy? Will it change the process of the mediation? Uh, and it will, will it change the outcome? Just before you go on, I just wanted to interrupt here. Uh, You used a little bit of terminology in the field that we are familiar with, and I think Mm -hmm. some of the listeners may not be. So, for example, you were talking about different styles of mediation. There are many different styles from evaluative, facilitative, and narrative as well. And while we're not going to go into an explanation of each type, that if any of you are interested in further exploring this topic of mediation, you can see there are many different types and not necessarily one way of doing mediation, so to speak. You also mentioned something about uh, people in the field being very dispersed and not Mm -hmm. having some kind of unifying framework from which they practice. And this is something very common in the field of conflict resolution and peace building, unfortunately so, because there are many times people doing parallel processes and practices which may or may not overlap and may or may not be contradictory to each other and canceling each other out. So this is something that we have noticed in the field a lot is that people really, we all would benefit if a lot of different interventions really did have, as part of their practice, a way of having discourse and dialogue together to really coordinate efforts. So that was something I wanted to add. And I also wanted to mention, we've been throwing Peter's name around a lot. I just wanted to say who (laughs) Peter is. Peter Coleman is a professor at Teachers College, professor of education and psychology, and is also co-chair with me at AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. So sorry to interrupt you. Please go ahead if there's something else. Uh, So the next step of our process was to do a literature review. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we found that there were like a dizzying array of um, factors that people had empirically found that were influencing mediation. So time pressures, gender of mediator, um, constraints on the situation, a a whole gamut of of things that could um, make a, a situation look 
different. Um, but what we wanted to do, again, was find what was fundamental in those situations. So um, in our literature review, we focused on um, looking at papers that did that studied the process and the outcome of mediation. So in the last 10 years, we only found... 11, or I'm sorry, 16, 67 articles um, that really focused on empirical studies. And I don't know how much like relevance that has. It might seem like an abstract number, but it's relatively few. Um, well, I think the other thing that's interesting is you're saying in the past 10 years when yeah. an actuality mediation is from biblical times and maybe right. before because it's been going on forever. It's just right. that we're looking at a modern take on yes, mediation. Yes, yes. So um, we ended up including 35 articles in our final review. Um, these articles had varied methodologies, contexts, and level of analyses. And what we found are the fundamentals, uh, the fundamental dimensions of a, conf of a mediated situation are four. Um, let's see. The first is the constraints on the situation. So is it a tight situation or a loose situation? So a tight situation might be something like in an international situation where there are a lot of um, political elements, so there's an international community that's being represented. Um, the second is how intense um, and destructive is the conflict. The third is the relationship between the parties. Do they share similar backgrounds and have common interests? Um, we usually describe that as interdependence. So are they competitive or cooperative? And finally, um, the, is the process and the issues at hand. So um, is it implicit such that um, there might be information that parties are not willing to share? Or is it explicit such that everything is on the table? Great. So just to take a minute here to reintroduce our program for listeners who may first be joining us now, this is Peace and Conflict Resolution at Columbia University, Conversations from the Leading Edge, and I am Beth Fisher-Yoshida, and I am interviewing Christy Gatsi and Kyung Mazaro here about their work on mediation research and practice. So, Kyung, would you like to add something to sure. the research study? Um, I would like to talk a little bit about what we meant um, by finding these four fundamental Great. dimensions and wh why they are important. Can you just mention the four again? Uh, sure. Um, the first one is the basic quality of the conflict, whether it's intense or it's not that intense and destructive. The basic quality of the relationship between the, dis between the disputants. So if, if the disputants share similar backgrounds or common interests or um, they're purely competing um, for uh, scarce resources. Um, the third one is the basic quality of the context of the mediation, so how constraining or flexible the, mediation, uh, the mediated situation is, and the, the basic quality of the process, how implicit or covert or explicit are the issues and how comfortable the parties are about, um, about talking uh, um, about those um, specific um, issues. Um, so how did we get to this result, and why did we did we find that these were a fundamental and, and very important in the mediator situation? Um, well, um, we found that these um, specific parameters had huge um, effects on the strategies that mediators chose uh, in specific situations, on the outcomes, um, on, on the level of satisfaction, um, and um, and they were also um, common.
common across most of the empirical studies. So um, based on that, we, we moved on and we designed a study that really could assess what was the effect of these dimensions in the way mediators both perceived and operated within the mediators, a mediated situation. Great. So it sounds like your results uh, will have a big impact and uh, in many different ways because I'm even thinking about as a mediator and picking out a strategy to use, it is very much dependent on who the people are in the room, the disputants, the kind of a conflict and so on, the context and how you entered into the mediation as a mediator and that um, some mediators do have style flexibility and they do have approach mm -hmm. flexibility where they can take different approaches and some don't and some prefer one particular style and will or will not apply that style to any situation or may just be selective about the types of conflicts they mediate because of what's good to the style. So while I can sit here and imagine why I think this is very important because obviously we're all working on the assumption that mediation is important and that it is a good thing to understand better, I'm just, just informally, just have you had conversations about why this is important to the mediator, why this might be important to the disputants, or the whole field of mediation? I'm not sure if it's something you've discussed or if it's just something that you have your own opinions about, but I think it might be interesting to explore that a little bit because we are making the assumption it's important. Well, I think, it, I think it's important in part because it's helpful to have standards, and if this for the field, in the field of mediation and conflict resolution, because we are really dealing with um, people's lives and conflict is inevitable and that there will always be conflict. So I think as practitioners in the field, we really bear um, a, a great responsibility to you know, ethically resolve those conflicts. And ethical, of course, is a relative term and depends on the culture and the setting that you're in. But I do think that um, this kind of taxonomy could really um, set standards for the field that would really take it to another level, legitimize it, and also just make it generally more useful for the public. It sounds interesting, too, when you think about how new, in quotes, mediation is in terms of our common practice in this country mm -hmm. in particular, mm -hmm. we tend to defer to the law. We default mm -hmm. to the law, and I think there is a time and a place for using lawyers and following the mm -hmm. law and so on, and mediation is still struggling in some ways to be recognized as a legitimate alternative and as a profession, so that you were saying having standards and a taxonomy to follow then would lead towards more legitimization and mm -hmm. raise the profile and make it more of a profession. Mm -hmm. Want to sure. add something to that, Kel? Yes, sure. I would like to add that um, recent research has also found that um, when using mediation, um, the levels of satisfaction in specific types of conflicts are higher than, uh, than using the legal and the more traditional ways of conflict resolution. So there is an objective value in choosing specifically mediation as a form of alternative um, way of, of dispute resolution. Um, at the same time, this applies specifically at the international level, where the, the interests are many, and sometimes um, conflict resolution processes cannot be as overt as one may wish, and mediation really provides an opportunity for parties to sit down and deal with a conflict in a more private and more tailored way that can lead to better, better results. 
So two things I just wanted to follow up on. One, you were talking about uh, the level of satisfaction, mm-hmm. that people are satisfied. And I've heard different things about this, and one of the things I have mm-hmm. heard is that people have an opportunity to tell their story, to tell their side. And I know from my own experience in small claims court with mediation, when the judge would ask something and the disputant tried to say something, he said, just tell me what I asked, just answer my question, just tell me what I asked, <laughs> not telling the whole story. Right. At the same time you're mentioning, at the international level, it allows people who are in the mediation room to really explore their issues, and I would imagine behind closed doors. So the mm-hmm. level of confidentiality, which is one of the characteristics and qualities of mediation, is really upheld to the fullest. Is there anything else you'd like to add about mediation or about this particular research project or maybe next steps you're planning on? I just wanted to mention the role of um, current expert mediators that we consulted in this process. So um, after we did the literature review and identified what we thought were the four basic dimensions, we um, actually surveyed and over 140 mediators and found that um, there was salience. So um, what we thought was happening was reported back to us that was happening. Um, so that was really exciting. Um, and the next step with that is that we're going to do focus groups. Um, and just kind of for the preparation of um, a toolkit to present to the UN um, that can kind of help them identify um, strategies and best practices. So I think we're really looking forward to um, talking to people that, that do this every day. And the people in your focus group, will those be the same people or different people from the people you shared the lit review results with? We um, think that they'll be the same, but um, we welcome anybody new to the group, too. How did you find these people? Through professional associations, uh, Mediators Beyond Borders, um, ACR, GNY. That's the Association for Conflict Resolution, Greater New York. And actually, can you give us the identity of one of these mediators? Not, of course, a name, but just what does the profile look like and what are the sort of conversations they have to conduct? And do they conduct them in conference rooms? Do they conduct them in villages? So mediators come from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, The first thing is that it's very hard to um, make a living as a full-time mediator. So I think that, at least in New York, um, probably the classic profile is someone that has an attorney background and um, has felt that that either wasn't enough or wasn't where their interests are and have been able to do mediation on the side. So on the side would usually mean um, in a community mediation center. Um, And that could, yeah, just be like a conference room where the parties come in, they have a certain caseload, and they show up kind of as needed. Um, and Kyung, I think, can speak about the international realm. I'm less familiar with that. But I do know that in organizations, too, informally, um, it could be part of your job if you're an HR professional that you have to have those skills. Um, yeah, so Kyung, if you want to sure. talk about the international um, realm. Well, in, in the case of our study specifically, I think it would be helpful to talk a little bit about the participants we got. Mm-hmm. And um, it was challenging to get the international um, mediators, of course. Um, it's it's hard to find someone experienced in that particular field. Um, but we managed to um, 
get results and the responses of academic um, mediators that work in academic settings, either doing research or doing actual mediations, um, ADR clinics, community mediation centers, um, NGOs, um, private organizations, independent mediators, and um, many other settings. So, so the settings can be many, um, and we, we really believe that um, in the case of our particular study, we managed to um, not only find through the lit review dimensions that were relevant, but also to um, verify that these dimensions are present all across um, different settings, and um, that's pretty valuable and not very common in the that's field great. of mediation. That sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. And you also have, of course, laid out the dimensions that you're looking at. Can you give us an ideal case study for mediation? Working in the world of ideals, not an easy <laughs> one to answer, but maybe something that you think could be effective, especially as a result of the study. Well, um, I'm going to take a stab at that at this. Okay. Um, <laughs> as as a start, I would say that um, at Professor Peter Coleman's work group, um, we do look at case studies, but our basic idea is to find the basic dimensions that really determine what happens in a specific situation or. Um, and, and specific phenomenon. And uh, um, in the case of mediation, um, although we cannot talk about an ideal situation, we can talk about skills and specific characteristics that could be could lead to more satisfaction and more effective mediated situations. And Professor Coleman always talks about um, optimality and adaptivity. That's in pretty confusing words, but in reality what they mean um, is that um, depending on the situation, you may be needing to use different strategies or different techniques, and you, you need to adapt throughout the mediated um, situation. And this is the basic idea of this research. Instead of just looking um, statically at the dimensions, we want to look at how the interaction between um, the situation itself, the parties, and the, situa and, and the strategies used by mediators affect the results and the levels of satisfaction across the different parties. Um, so I would say that um, in the case of the, of the toolkit, what we're trying to do is find a way to measure mediators' capacity to adapt and find the, find the more optimal way and strategy to solve um, mediation. So instead of talking about a specific case study that um, it's successful, there are many out there, we could talk about specific skills that could be developed and assessed to improve mediation across different settings. I think one of the advantages of doing this kind of research and identifying these dimensions is that it makes explicit what some people do intuitively. And so especially if you are less experienced and are newer in the field of mediation and becoming a mediator, it's a really nice framework to have to say, okay, these are the things I definitely need to pay attention to, almost like a checklist, but also inside of that checklist. And then I think intuitively for more experienced mediators, it just is a reminder because how many of you want to retake a driving test right after mm -hmm. driving for so many years. We get sloppy <laughs> in our practice. So I think it's just a good reminder to say, you know what, this is what research has shown, and research does have some validity, especially the way you've described 
it was done. And so to be a reminder about these dimensions can also enhance practice. And just about the case study, I think we can talk about and describe different kinds of scenarios mm -hmm. in which certain dimensions were used and paid attention to in certain ways, and this is what happened and this is what the results were. And maybe if they were paid attention to in a different way, something else could have emerged, but this is how it did emerge. So I think having examples and scenarios could be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to say, going back to um, who is a mediator um, and kind of what is their skill set, um, just a mini pitch. Columbia does offer a master's program in negotiation and conflict resolution where you can learn um, a lot of those skills. Um, as well as at Teachers College, there is a certificate in, an, in advanced conflict resolution at the International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution. So if you are interested in becoming a mediator or learning more conflict resolution skills, uh, Columbia University is really um, an excellent place to do that. And the master's program and certificate just show they are part of also a much bigger, rich network of conflict resolution and peace building taking place at Columbia University that's organized under the umbrella of AC4, Advanced Consortium and Cooperation, Conflict and Complexity. So I think that is all for today, and uh, we thank you all for listening. I thank my uh, guests, Christy and Kyung, for stopping by and talking to us about the mediation research, and we look thank forward you. to publications. I know that the RCCCR website has a blog posting by Peter Coleman, and I'm sure you will continue to update. Mm -hmm. So for people wanting to know more about that, please check the Columbia website, look at AC4, ICCR, or NECR websites. Thank you very much.